Hello and welcome to IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Hugh, and today we're talking about leaders who believe that the best-run, best-performing companies deliver values for all stakeholders in the short and long term. Basically, leaders that look beyond just profit. This mindset has a few names. During our chat, we switch between higher ambition and dual-purpose leadership as gaining traction across the business world, not least because of a vast array of research telling us that it results in greater profits anyway. IMI hosted the 2019 Higher Ambition CEO Summit towards the end of last year, which gave me the opportunity to talk to Tobias Fredberg, Executive Director at the Centre for Higher Ambition Leadership Europe, and our very own Colin Foster, Director of Executive Education here at IMI. We talked about why the practices behind higher ambition leadership are permeating the highest levels, and how you as a business leader can make your business a higher purpose organisation. Colm, I want to start with you. I've been reading both uh, Higher Ambition Leadership and Geomindership Leadership for the last six months or so. What, if any, are the differences between the two? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting question. I think the idea of something beyond shareholder value, something beyond stakeholder value and that kind of Jack Welsh slash and burn has been in the zeitgeist for probably 20 or 30 years and people have been talking about different versions and flavors of what does it mean to to, to drive an organization for something other than economic value mm-hmm. um, and i think the labeling has changed so purpose-driven leadership purpose-based leadership has been around for quite a while um, and dual purpose leadership is, is effectively another version of saying well, if one purpose is stakeholder, what might the other one be? Um, so I think that's that's a take on where what you do with the idea of purpose. Where higher ambition comes in is saying, well, if you're going to have a purpose or if you're going to have more than one purpose, should one of them be a higher purpose? Mm. So, uh, you know, sat- uh, satisfying shareholders and satisfying customers is a dual purpose, but neither of those is higher. Mm-hmm. So what higher ambition is doing is taking that idea of there there's a multi-stakeholder multiverse multi uh, that needs to be addressed and that's where kind of uh, multi-purpose or dual purpose leadership kind of had its genesis and taking that to the next stage of saying well that's not quite enough mm. that's just uh, uh, that feeds into this complexity world and we've talked a little bit today at our conference about the uh, uh, the world becoming more complex and at one level dual purposes now is now making it even more complex because not only do we have one purpose now we have to have lots of purposes surely that's just it's becoming a bit of a matrix at this yeah, point, yeah. Um, and what, what what higher ambition is potentially leading us to is uh, 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 bringing that to a level of, of abstraction that can become both simplifying and unifying mm. by having a, a purpose that supersedes yeah. that, that's at least flexible and leverageable across and to be honest, I want to talk to you about that, about that sort of unifying mission. Can you talk about the, the centre of uh, higher ambition leadership itself, the work you are doing at the moment, and I suppose where you think it is in the world at this, at this stage? So, so building on what Colm just said, I, we, we tend to think about higher ambition as you know, what can you also do with, with the organisation? What can it become? Mm. Not just how can we increase the, the, the resource use in our organization, the resource efficiency. How can we expand the boundaries of what this organization could be together with its stakeholders in a, in a broad sense? Mm. You know, to, 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 to put that 
to put that the, that 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 uh, vision or goal even higher, mm. and and not not just be limited by by the things we 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 see right now, and so in the center, what we really try to do, we we we. We work with partners. If there is actually, I should explain this. There is the U.S. Center, the Center for Higher Ambition Leadership, which is based in in Boston. Yeah. And there's a European sister organization, so they're freestanding from each other, but we we collaborate. So in all, we're around thirty partners around the world that engage in these issues. Mm. So what we do is like here in Dublin right now, together with the the IMI, is is to create an exchange between people that have an interest in trying to lead in this way, mm. to like lead in a higher ambition way, um, and ha- exchange experiences. So what did you do? There's, there's no one solution to yeah. this, obviously. There are multiple ways in which you could approach, mm. uh, you could work with, with higher ambition. So we share practices, we share knowledge, we share tips. Um, we try to find other partners or other people that you know, we jointly could, could talk to. Mm. And then, then we also in the center work actively, actively with organizations. Can we, can we work together on how you transform? Can we go in and, and for us, we're a university, part of a university, just as the IMI. So yeah. we also have a research agenda, which is, okay, so let's test these things out. Let's, let's, let's do interventions to see what kind of effects we can have if we can get create more positive results. Mm. So this is an ongoing journey. We think of ourselves as you know, a group of people on that journey together. And the larger that group becomes and the more proper work we can do, the, the happier we all hopefully are. And, and you talk about that journey and people coming along with it. It's starting to me, it's starting to break through. You mentioned the Business Roundtable letter um, from a couple of months back. So where is this now in terms of the top CEOs in the world? Is this what they are focused on at this moment in time? They've all realized that this is the next level of performance. Or are we not quite at that step yet? So I, I, I see that in two ways. So the, the letter from the, the business, business Roundtable is that it was 186 yeah. uh, CEOs or something like that. It's a sign. I think it's a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. So, so people are. It seemed beyond a pure exercise, though. It did seem a, a commitment. Genuine. Yeah, I also think it was a good mm. commitment, a great commitment. But I also don't think it's necessarily a sign, necessarily a sign of them being progressive. Okay. I think it. We can see it as a, a sign of them reacting, reacting to the times we live mm-hmm. in, which I think is usually possible, positive that they're yeah, cognizant yeah. of it. What what I'm afraid of is that even they though they might be genuine in their aspirations, they also have to put it into work. Mm. And on how you do that, which is the question we're, that we try, all try to deal with, is massively complicated. You know, if yeah, honestly, if this all would be so great, then why would everybody already yeah. do it, right? And the 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 um, guy we we it's in the book we wrote a couple of years back. He said. He asked exactly that question. He said, well, you know, creating an organization is really complex. All those kinds of details, all the things you have to get together to make it all work mm. is massively complicated and complex. And it's a kind of a higher art of management of, 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 of managing mm. to do that. So, so, as I, so, so I think the aspiration is great. Now, now the tough work remains. What, if I may just continue yeah, no, just for 10 seconds. Then, 
I, I think a, a challenge for these leaders and for all of us collectively is that I, I think the corporate social responsibility movement, if you mm-hmm. will, is fantastic, but I'm afraid that it becomes just a sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you know, and in bad times, if we go down the business cycle, it's going it's downwards. The they will go. all, yeah, it will be first to go. I want to talk about hard work, and we the last session in the, the conference today was about purpose. And we talked actually afterwards about the, the hard work behind purpose. Can you just talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that uh, just picking up on, on what Tobias is saying, it's uh, having that common purpose. That is, it's like an organizing principle or unifying principle. And the hard work is to stick with it. Mm. In fact, driving an organization or driving purpose, that organization is actually more simple than it appears. And one of the ways not to do it is to say it's going to be difficult. Mm. Or one of the ways to make it difficult is to say it's going to be difficult. Mm. Um, so it's about having um, the, the examples that we've seen where it seems to have worked, and we had a really good example uh, uh, in our conference today, um, was about people sticking with very simple precepts and simple um, um, policies and simple rollout, but doing it at scale and doing it over time and, and just sticking with it. And I think the... One of the challenges is just around this industry clock speed and getting enough credibility with enough yeah. stakeholders so they stay in the fight long enough for it to start to work. And they don't begin to change at the first sign of an ill wind. They don't change the strategy or change the CEO or change the top team before the thing has had a chance. Mm. So I think the hard work is going to be the, the, the stickability or the stick with it. Um, stick to one plan, have a very clear idea, have a very clear what the purpose is, and not allow yourself to be bounced around mm. and, dist- uh, and distracted. And, uh, and push that down as effectively an organizing principle, a decision-making principle. Mm. So this is the way decisions get made. So it's not about making the decisions, it's about giving people the framework within which all they these decisions them. will be made. Mm-hmm. It was funny, you actually use a phrase, it's an arbiter for tough decisions, yeah. is your purpose, which I, I find really interesting. Um, it's for those, It's purpose matters when you have a 51%, 49% decision to make. Yeah. If it's an 80-20 decision, anybody can make that decision. Yeah. So you'll be faced with situations when there are either loads of good ideas or none. Yeah. And that's when purpose matters. Yeah. And also those situations where somebody in the organization tries something new. You know, they have multiple ideas and they need to choose what to put their talents and, and time into. And if there is a clear purpose, and we talk about that, is the, you, 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 you develop an intuitive sense mm. of what this organization is about and what is potentially good for the organization, which hopefully increases your hit rate when you, when you try to launch it, right? Mm. And what we see to quite high extent where we try to look at very entrepreneurial organizations or you know stable legacy corporations that that try to renew themselves from within is that in these cases with these where these corporate entrepreneurs are able to understand the corporate purpose and they say well actually this the purpose it's logical that it also means this new thing not just what everybody else yeah. thinks, always thought it but meant. We can stretch. We can stretch it. Mm. And because then it becomes, then becomes ideologically viable in some kind of way. And it becomes, you know, it, it, has, a, it has a credibility mm. that, that not all ideas have. Otherwise, it gets rejected by the organization's immune system. That's right. It gets spat out by the organization's immune system. Right. And it might still 
be rejected. <laughs> but but you know you increase the likelihood of being more right. Yeah. Right or less wrong. And that's all you can really do, isn't it? You can just try and be more right. Yeah. Than wrong. Um, I want to get to the heart of the matter because a lot of people will be hearing words like purpose, higher ambition, dual-minded leadership, and they'll be thinking, yes, but my quarterly earnings report are coming up. So business result and financial performance. Um, should contributing to a better world really be the major focus of a CEO? Aren't they ultimately going to be held responsible by shareholders? So what are the concrete benefits financially of going down this path? Uh, Tobias, you've done a lot of research, so I'll go to you first. So I, I think the benefits come in four different ways. And the, the first one is, is the hardest one to measure, and that's the sort of the, the moral obligation or the, the legacy or, you know, do the right thing. Mm. Um, so the, the, the do, right, do the right thing argument is really that we feel better about ourselves when we do something, mm. and, that, and that's great. So there's a lot of human value into that. There's, of course... A, and a, if you look at just the economic value of organizations that, that work with higher purpose, it's actually the, the, the results are quite staggering. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it, it means most, if purpose contributes to clarity of what we're about, you see the highest economic effects. There was a huge study being done with the great places to work mm-hmm. kind of data where they try to understand its effect on performance, um, where they could they could see that purpose that brings clarity and meaning actually contributes a lot to performance. Yeah. Purpose-led companies, if you look at them long over time, they grow more, they have higher profitability. There are multiple studies that have shown this. So those two things are kind of easy to see. I think another one, which is more around the organization, is perhaps harder, and it's the relationship between purpose and how, how engaged we become in our work. Mm. And that's not only for the current employees, but also for potential future employees that, you know, are attracted by the company and like, you know, want to be there. So we, we have a higher, higher potential of, of hiring the best people in, yeah. in the labor market. So I, th- I think that's hugely important. But if you just look at engagement, engagement is, we know that purpose is highly connected to engagement. Engagement in turn is highly connected with productivity. You know the the top quartile of the of the, the of engaging companies have around twenty percent higher productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see in large studies, but the bigger effect is on quality errors, patient incidents, safety incidents. Because why? Well, people care about the place, right? Yeah. They're engaged, so they roll up their sleeves and they get to work, and they you know they, they try to fix things around them. Um, so you see that effect. The highest effect though is on transformation creativity, innovation, those kinds of things, right? Because we can, as I said, you know, if, we can, if we're more led by purpose, it usually opens up the solution space that we didn't mm. see before. If we have purpose, we have trust and engagement, we're more willing to put more of, sell, more of ourselves into all sorts of work. We become more at, uh, open to new change initiatives, those kinds of things. So... Four different, I tend to think about it, four different. So moral value, economic value, organizational value, and then kind of transformational value, which is the toughest thing. All yeah. Right. So. And there was there's a, well, there's a facet, right? There's a facet of that economic value that I think is, is 
becoming even more prevalent and that's around customer expectation mm. of, of uh, organizational behavior so that we're living in this much more transparent much more open much more visible world um and the kinds of behaviors, the kinds of purpose, the kinds of activities in which organizations and the leadership of organizations engage is becoming clearer and clearer to the people consuming those products. Yeah. So, um, you know, if the, the, the cliched example of, you know, Nike producing soccer balls and sweatshops, you know, mm. that's just not okay anymore. Yeah. And it's not hideable anymore. Mm. And it's not acceptable to consumers anymore. So if you want to have a business that can attract the right kind of customers, mm. in as much as you want to attract the right kind of uh, kind of employees or suppliers, then this is this kind of purpose led or having some sense of a, a broader ambition than just naked financial return is becoming a kind of license to operate like a, a legitimacy argument that yeah. you, can, you can no longer get away with hiding bad practice and hoping you won't you can pour all the sludge into the lagoon and nobody I, will find I, out I, I could argue against that though you, you say to, to go for the right customer say for the business that wants to go for the wrong customer that the, the customer that actually doesn't care about this so they almost counter programming um, you can see it in, in the, the UK with uh, Sports Direct which is famously all about cutting costs and so are you is there going to be a period of pain when you're transitioning between this sort of bottom line uh cost focused efficiency focused organization to this purpose-led organization can you expect a period of pain i yeah i think you're absolutely right i think that all transitions have that you know we talked about unlearning so those things yeah. that you have to jettison those things that you have to get rid of those things that served you very well in the past that are no longer useful to you in, in the future those if they were self-evidently disruptive they would have you would have let them go already mm. so there are things that seem to be valuable that are no longer valuable the problem and i think what we're evolving to or what we would you would hope we were, we would evolve to is a recognition of the false dichotomy between purpose and profit yeah that and for as long as we continue to think about them as as options, as orthogonal variables, you know, it's one or the other. Mm. Um, then you're going to get into this this kind of cycle of of. It's know, still probably the most common link people make. Them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is we have to decide between. And I think it, it reminds me very much, and you, you um, uh, I remember this from about twenty years ago when we talked about um, task and person. Could you, and that was the fault that the great false dichotomy of the eighties and nineties mm. was task and person. Mm. Could you develop people, or could you get the task done? And oh, if you okay, focus yeah. on developing people, you'd have to sacrifice the task. Or if you get really hard on the task, that you can only do that by whipping the people. Mm. So, and that was the dichotomy that people bought into until you start to see great organisations that, you know, broke, you know, exposed that false dichotomy and said, well, the only way to get the task done is through great people, and the yeah. only way to create great people is by giving them good work to do. You know, mm. so it, they're actually the same thing. I think purpose and sustainable e uh, economics and sustainable financial value will over time stop the, the, the falsity in that dichotomy will be exposed over time. But I think we've organizations are set up in a way that, that, um, that reinforces that dichotomy and therefore it looks like it's manifest in the world. But you know, it's like all swans are white until you see a black one. Yeah. At some point, you start to see more black swans, and then you realize, well, all mm. swans aren't white. Or oh, well, you can compare it with the quality movement. You know, the mm. in the eighties. Mm. You know, there, there was there was nobody be that believed that you could do cars that fast with such low cost and right. so such and high quality, quality until the Japanese did it. Pro proved that it could be done. Yeah. Right. So there's there's another model emerging, which is great. This is not to say that the old model will disappear. 
I mean, people still have to eat first, and if you're short on cash, yeah, you 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 ultimately you need you need to buy the stuff you you need. Yeah. So, and I think that's that's a that that's an explanation to why we, if you, you if you would see over time, you've always been expecting that more environmentally friendly companies would outperform the not so environmentally friendly companies, and you haven't really seen that effect to such a high extent in consumer mm. markets. Yeah, the yeah. bigger effects, though, are, of course, in the labor market, as mm. we were into, attracting talent, you know, keeping talent yeah. there. But also more and more in the financial market, which is interesting, because, yeah. you know, our pension funds, um, mm. larger corporate, family-owned corporations, they want to stand for something. They make commitments, so they need their their capital to go to places that, that stand for something good. So I say... I think there are other great forces that drive companies in the right direction, but actually the consumer market less so, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I hope it will turn. But, but yeah. From your uh, uh, Harvard Business Review article, Harvard Vision Leadership, you had the great example of Standard Charter Bank yeah. and Peter Sands. Can you just explain that? Because it happened right at the financial crash. So all that period of pain and everything we were talking about, they were going through it. Yeah, so, so it's... A couple of things that were really interesting about the Standard Chartered Bank. One of them, so 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 when we interviewed Peter Sands. He said, "Well, actually, I'm, what I really want is to create a company which is great to work for, a a financially successful and for or a force for good." Mm. So it might not be self-evident how he why that why that logic was there. So, but when we try to look more and more into it. They build up a system where their connection with local communities and them doing well in the world, great things in the world, mm. in, in India, Bangladesh, and Sierra Leone, or wherever my board would be, was also connected to people learning to know each other across their big, enormous global matrix, mm. sharing ideas how we, on microfinance, on Islamic banking, whatever it might be. And those that social network that they created, along with pretty hardcore, um, you know, organizational solutions. So they had the balance review team that mm. went around to be the arbiter where, you know, different money should be counted, etc. Yeah. Those two in concert actually led them to create, in Peter Sands', Peter Sands argument would be that it created such a well-functioning, well, well, not well, oil machinery is perhaps the wrong word, but, you know, well-functioning matrix where people actually work so well together that they could sustain themselves through the financial crisis with some important, interesting additions. They were all about long-term relationships internally, but also externally to customers. Mm. So they made they made conscious choices of, of staying very long-term with customers that are also deeply troubled through the financial crisis and then being rewarded for that afterwards. Yeah. So they were all around these things. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of meat on the bone there as well, uh, as we've talked about. I want to talk about the leaders itself. Um, first of all, is this something a leader can outsource? Um, you're going to say no, but I'll give you an example. If you look at someone like, and it's not a perfect example, it's like Facebook. So Mark Zuckerberg is now all about that sort of overall mission, whereas Sheryl Sandberg will essentially the CEO. She's a risk management. So where does the responsibility lie for this? Yeah, it's this is the kind of thing that absolutely has to be led from the top, and more than led, um, I think I think it needs to be embodied and amplified from the top. 
Um, so this can't be a, a PR spin set of words. Yeah. It can't be something that you outsource to your you know, your PR agency or your CSR group or your greenwashing, whatever. I think it's something that has to be lived and breathed. Because uh, to your earlier point about the pain in the, tra- in the transition and the, the, the stickability and the, you know, the, the earlier point I was making that this is something that you, that you need to stick with mm-hmm. over a protracted period of time, that needs to come from inside the senior leadership. And if it's... If it's a set of clothes that you're trying on, if yeah. it's the latest fad, it, it won't sustain and it won't be credible. And when you talk about the kinds of things that people find challenging and they're, or they're slightly dubious and sceptical about whether you genuinely believe it, mm. and if you don't, they will that will pretty quickly become evident that this is just a, a spin. One of the great examples I saw in there was that uh, Chris said he had to cancel a conference and he said immediately a couple of years of work almost went down the drain because yeah. everyone saw them rolling back. So mm. tell you. No, I think what Colin is saying, you know, if you think about purpose as something that creates meaning, yeah, you know, it, it, it's something that needs to be infused, you know, to, to influence everyday work. Mm. Right, and in different stages, and having that permeate the organization is tough, right? Because yeah, there's so mm. many discussions that need to be have be be having whether something matters of it if it doesn't matter. Mm. And I, the problem I really have with purpose, and I think one of the reasons why we speak about higher ambition instead, is that purpose kind of became these, you know, horrible motivational posters. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And, and, you know, and, and people Scare became really mind. cynical about yeah. them not meaning anything. You know, management just being there for their own sake, etc. So there was a whole different, a whole, mm. whole set of assumption of, of, of how organizations were led. That if you want to do something different, you know, it needs to mean something different. Well, let's dive in there then. Um, so what approach does a leader uh, that wants to take that higher ambition, dual-minded purpose uh, mindset... What are the principles they should adopt? Um, every business is different, but there are, are there certain guiding frameworks that they should be thinking about? So we, we tend to think about higher ambition as as total value for for, for stakeholders. Hmm. So so and the argument around that is that so can you if we think differently about what we do, are we part of a you know something bigger? For our stakeholders, mm. and maybe we should rethink on um, how we make money from now. This uh, different total value that we're not creating. Mm. So, if we want, to, if we're honest about transforming into something bigger to increase our ambition, to increase what we can become, it also means actually reframing probably what we're about and how we make money. Mm. So, if, if there's something I, I would. I would so so it's a bigger thought about the our part in the total value creation, how we make money out of that, and what it means for us and what we can become and become together. Mm. It sounds terribly fluffy. I realize <laughs> that, but you know, when you see organizations that manage to do this, then actually, so so we have this construction company that we're working with. So, in in Sweden, there's there was a huge, you know, the government wanted to build one million new housing from 65 to 75. Mm. These houses are becoming terribly old now, yeah. right? So they all need to be renovated. So this construction company could would happily go in and renovate the kitchens. You know, they, they're, they're terribly efficient in renovating kitchens. Yeah. The question is, of course, for, this, for, 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 the, for, for the tenants 
and for the other people that that are in these uh, these suburbs where these houses are is renovating kitchen actually the first priority is living in safe space maybe the bigger priority and how do we understand sort of the the total value that we could potentially be creating with with the with the house owners yeah. with the tenants themselves with the government with the, you know you know are we really thinking in a good way about this problem or are we just becoming too focused on renovating the kitchens yeah. i have to say i would probably go okay let's get three quotes from all the suppliers let's go cheap and let's just renovate them as you oh, say that's the standard solution yeah, yeah, yeah. so Again, I want to get into the how a little bit. So, well, I, one of the things I would add to that, because I'm, I'm mm. just reflecting on that question, I was thinking about the people that we've spoken to during the Irish research, and one of the things that strikes me is those people who do this particularly well are very good at using the symbolism of the office. Mm. Um, and as much as we would talk about leadership being, you know, at every level in the organisation, mm. and leadership is not a role; it's a, it's a set of behaviours, and it's, it's not the same as authority. In the context of creating that kind of uh, that shift and the transformation to a to a you know a, a higher ambition led organization, there is a lot to be said about the symbolism of the office and symbolic acts, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what, when Chris said they cancelled the conference. That was a massively symbolic act, yeah. and had they doubled down on the conference, that would have been a massively symbolic act. So we've seen some of these Irish CEOs pick particular symbols. Yeah. of a new way of thinking of a new way of framing the question of a new way of thinking about value and kind of using the weight of the office almost the pomp and ceremony of the office to draw attention as what well, well, we certainly know about uh, senior executives is that is they what the people notice what they pay attention to yeah. and what they focus on and I, we, we've seen some of these senior guys be really planful about where they put their attention in order to bring to kind of ventilate mm. this purpose mm. question um, I think you might have read my next question how do you communicate it throughout the company um, again let's look at the typical levers to pull uh, and also we talked about consistency already but how quickly will it drop off if you don't talk about it I think it's it's. Um, I think the word we would use is relentless right? <laughs> <laughs> yes it's this becomes the you know the number one job and maybe the number two job and the number three job. You it's, almost it's, wear it as a badge. And wear it about, yeah, well, it needs yeah. to be DNA. It needs to be yeah. not you know not something that you not a set of clothes that you put on to go to work, but it's you know, you, and then and one of the interesting things um in uh in your purpose of the leadership book that I read last week or the week before is that if it's not your purpose at home, it's not your purpose in work either. So it can't be something that you just. Mm. It's something that drives you in your organizational life, but actually it doesn't supply in your in your uh, life. Uh, not being silly, but a, a CEO out there that maybe listening to this and go, I don't know if I can match that. What should they do? Well, is 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 that something that you go, okay, I should look for an exit strategy out, out now at this point? Well, I. It's I a tough the, question to ask. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't think the world is pivoting on yeah. a, on a sixpence to a world where if you you. You don't if you can't articulate a purpose then you know you don't have a have a role and that's not not the case and probably won't be the case for yeah. many many years so i think there is there is a transition period and i think industries are changing there's different industry clock speeds there are different stages of the value chain where a purpose is more or less um, important there are different structures of organizations mm-hmm. where a purpose is more or less important so we're not trying to say that there is only one way to succeed and there's only one way to lead and we've figured it out and it's higher ambition 
I think that would be hugely no. um, uh, misguided, not to say arrogant. Um, but I think there's there's definitely, and as, as Tobias was saying, uh, where we're seeing industry leaders begin to buy into this idea of purpose, it's not because they're at the head of the vanguard, it's because they're being pushed from behind. So where you can't get in touch with, so I, I just can't get my head around what the purpose should be, I think it's unlikely that your ecosystem won't be sending you signals. Mm. Um, they may be weak signals, but uh, our, our contention would be that they're going to get stronger. So it's not something that you can run away from. But uh, I certainly wouldn't be panicking and trying to pivot to some some quick yeah. get you know, get higher ambition leadership in, get Tobias in to figure <laughs> out what my purpose should be because we're about to hit the wall. I think that there's there's what you I'm my expectation would be that the ecosystems are giving signals that that they're less satisfied with with something that is just nakedly you know, economic value led. And then, of course, it needs to be done in concert also with, with owners, right? Mm. You need to have owners that, su- that, that support you. Well, we have a great example of a, a company that, that was very close to us, and the CEO, very high ambition, fantastic agenda on, on how, how the person wanted to, to develop that organization, great ideas, had a massive involvement from all the employees, pretty big company and they you know could prove that 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 support existed in the end you know the 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 results the owners thought the results came too late there was a big fight and the top management team shouldn't we go back to what we always did Mm. still feel safe and made a conscious active decisions to to throw this person out and continue continue with the traditional business you know and you know, regardless of, of all the data to show that the, the, the employees really were behind yeah. the strategy that had that been launched and they had now been working on for two three years right owners get to decide that's the way it is yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, works <laughs> I wanted to ask you Colin actually very specific. you did your PhD in emotional intelligence so mm-hmm. it, this right in your wheelhouse the leadership giving up control um, what are the, I suppose, downsides and upsides for that? And, and what can they do for preparing themselves? Because I think a lot of what we heard today was we give the framework, but we also empower, give away control a little bit. Yeah. I, so I, I think there are, there are two versions of control. Either you control by purpose and values at the front end and allow a huge amount of flexibility yep. through the system. And in a complex world, that, that actually is the only way you can manage it. Or you control by rules and regulations at the back end. Mm. So you, it's a bit like QA in the old days of quality assurance or quality control. You can either quality assure by having the right process in place and then allow it run, or you can control quality control afterwards. Yeah. And rules and procedures is a quality control mindset. How can I enforce and, and control and tighten mm. and command and check and yeah. watch and balance? And so what that does is it gives the appearance of control because you're, you're micromanaging, but mm. the... The likelihood is that a whole bunch of things have happened between cause and effect and you're getting a view of the effect which gives you the appearance of control. And where, and this is probably the biggest learning because there's there's an awful lot of overlap between what we're talking about here and and ideas around emotional safety or ideas around psychological safety, that environments that are are purposeless 
uh, and where it is just kind of nakedly kind of atavistic, then those environments tend to be uh, psychologically unsafe. Mm. And in environments like that, the, the higher up you are in the organization, the more likely it is that you're getting pretty um, pretty spun information. Yeah. So all the issues, the problems, mm. the challenges, the mistakes, you're not being told any of that. You're being given a version of, yes. and that will give you your appearance of control, and that will give you your appearance of your metrics, and you can go home feeling that you're you know, that you're managing this thing well, and everybody in your ecosystem is in a place where it's in their interest that you continue to buy into that fallacy. In in a in a in a world that I that I wish were true, it's the world that I'm wishing for, but it's not the world that we all live in. We know, we understand that, but the world that we wish were true is where we create the kind of psychological emotional safety up front, and use things like purpose and that connection and that expansive view and that growth mindset and an abundant view of the universe yeah even more fluffy now <laughs> well actually but to bring it back as a, as a starting point and that actually gives you much more control to bring yeah. it back to the real as you were saying the error rate a purpose-led organization you're more likely to tell someone when you made a mistake and then retroactively fix and it and then fix it yeah, and yeah then if you have high, high trust high engagement yeah. that's exactly what that's it's going to be and that it doesn't necessarily make it easier for you as a leader yeah you can but you could probably be more certain that you're getting to know the things you need to know you're not getting that spun yeah yeah because there's lots of re- uh, healthcare is one of the the, the more interesting um areas to see this and uh, and we find that in uh, wards where there are high error rates the mm. mortality rate is low yeah so because people are reporting problems mm-hmm. and they're owning up the problems and they're fixing problems and therefore the the, the, the real implication was the, the, the mortality rate on the ward is low where there are where errors aren't getting reported you see higher mortality rates because stuff is going wrong yeah, yeah the things that I think there are things out there that make exactly what you said even more important, massively important. Because if you look at all the environmental pressures when it comes to digitalization, environmental friendliness, Mm. the energy shift, globalization, Brexit, whatever. Trump. (laughs) We we do not mention one on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I take it back. (laughs) There's... There's, it's hard to see that a company could coordinate all the projects or yeah. the initiatives, etc., that need to happen yeah. Yeah. in a planned and controlled and, 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 and neatly managed yeah. manner. You know, you need, to, you need to unleash creativity, you need to unleash energy, whatever, to, 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 to keep up speed. Mm. And how do you manage that process? Well, probably, well, you want direction, right? So you want something around an ambition, around a purpose, around a sort of a, you know, you, we can phrase it in different ways, but something that allows people to, to, to make choices on whether something is, is directionally more right mm. or, or not. But we also need, as, as, as Mark Bonchek was talking about in, in the conference, we need decision rules. Yeah, you know, as Colin mentioned this before, as leaders, instead of making all the decisions yourself, which you many leaders want because they feel empowered and in control by doing that, and useful, and useful, yeah, they need to allow, they need to set the rules under with which other leaders, informal or formal, can make these kinds of decisions. And really, this is not different than how you manage a matrix organization. Yeah. You do exactly that, but. You know, one reason why matrix organizations are perceived as so useless is because 
this is hard work. Really? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Setting these decisions okay. rules and make creating this direction is hard. Um, I do want to talk about that direction and the symbols. And uh, you mentioned earlier, earlier on about the sort of char- charitable activities in CSR. How useful is that as a leader to be able to almost amplify, demonstrate what your purpose is? Um, should you be using your CSR, I'm going to mention Trump, as your almost your red hat, your MAGA hat to, to sort of push people in a certain direction? It's very hard to have to answer that question, really, because those things come in so many flavors. Yeah. Right. So there are things that you can do that are massively, massively outside the scope of what you are about as a company, mm. and that of course risks being something that's just extra. Yeah. And there are things if you look at the Standard Chartered Bank stuff where they worked with NGOs and helped NGOs manage their finances for them to be more successful in, in developing countries. Now, they're a bank. That's what they do. And now they put their greatest skills to work to get, you know, to, to, you know, to make themselves useful. That's a whole different story, right? Mm. Or, or um, IKEA that puts, uh, puts efforts into building refugee housing. Mm. IKEA is, is fantastic when it comes to creating extremely low cost, logistically extremely efficient, you know, put things together yeah, on the yeah. spot, you know. They put their skills to work in something which is which is good for the world and good for them, right? So, so then it's completely in line. It, it increases, it it optimizes effort. Right? One, one of the interesting things about the standard charters was Peter said Peter Sands, the, the former CEO, he said it gave us an idea of our capabilities. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I found interesting that this sort of massive goal that they had, as you said, acted as an organizing principle, and then sort of showed them their own muscle almost. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that was very interesting from um, the the uh, we had a very interesting speaker at the conference today, and when when they redefined the purpose, they effectively kept it internal for two that was very years. Interesting, yeah. So to your point, explain that a little bit. But whether you would go and trumpet this new purpose to the world. Uh, which is the point about whether you flag this thing and wave, mm. wave it around. He was saying, you need to really, really, really understand what it means at an individual level, at the level of individual performance and individual decision-making before you start telling people. Because when you go out, it needs to be credible. Mm. And they weren't convinced that it was credible because they didn't really understand it themselves yet. And that's a, that's a brilliant yeah. learning today. So I think there is a, there is a point to keeping the purpose almost under wraps and internal mm. until you're pretty sure it's ready for prime time yeah the, the meat on the bone again um, we're getting near the end but I, I wanted to talk about something that maybe outside outside of uh, uh, CEO's control um, economics and laws are probably the two fundamental drivers of the, the modern civilization so we've talked about economics let's talk about laws what role does the government have to play um, in almost forcing higher ambition mindsets into the leadership class. I think you mentioned Paris had actually made a law explicitly that a company can't be just about profits. Yeah, the, the, our colleagues in France actually were, were some of the ones, their thinking was behind that new corporate law. But what it does, it, 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 I, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't go into the details because yeah, I yeah. Know, them, know them too poorly, but it, it really opens up for a different set of assumptions of what, what, what assumptions and different set of rules <coughs> of what a company needs to be and needs to do. In Sweden, 
we don't have that. Corporations about are ultimately about doing what the shareholders want them to do. Mm. And we have seen problems, there are cases in the US where the management of the company has argued that the company needs to do well and it's good for the company and, the, and minority shareholders have actually sued the company mm. for doing something which didn't maximize their own profit. So of course in those cases, you know, laws play a great role. I would like to think, right, that the laws, you know, hopefully sets the sets a bar. But if you think about what the organization can become and what role, purpose, or high ambition plays in that, the laws really shouldn't matter. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's one thing that you, um, what do you call it? That you just try to abide by the laws. Mm. But if you do that, you're not setting the bar high enough for yourself. We have this had this big Swedish corporation that was involved in a huge corruption scandal. You wouldn't know in the Netherlands, so it doesn't matter. But the argument there was that it wasn't that they didn't abide by the laws in those countries where that corruption happened. You know, they did. But as a company, were they keeping to their own standards? Yeah. No, you know, to, be, to, be, to make sure that you comply by everything, you need to set the bar far higher than what the law yeah. requires you to do. Right to be to be to make sure that you don't do anything else, yeah. silly or stupid or bad for the company, but also to to help create you know more momentum in the company to to to, to go somewhere. Perfect. Final question for both of you: What's the first thing a CEO should do tomorrow? Is it that they should start writing their thoughts down and trying to, or should they start listening? What's the first thing to be a CEO first? So. So based on the conversation here, I, 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 it's a tough, organizations start in so different places. Yeah. Right. So, so, so I, some, some organizations are fantastic and understanding their role in the world. And that's all great. Right. And, and it, they can be fantastic in what, how they do it. Some organizations just haven't figured out they're, they're, they're going down a path which builds them more and more into something that becomes rigid, um, helps them make money for a while, but when transformation hits, mm. you know, they're, they're gonna be in deep trouble. Yeah. And what they, need to, what they need to, of course, is to reconsider is, you know, what are they actually about? Yeah. You know, what, what kind of role do they play in a larger, in a larger game? So to start that journey of understanding their role in the world. Yes. Yeah, which whatever, however that looks to them, that's right. the, that's the way they should revisit start. their what they're there for, yeah. their why, their purpose, their ambition. Maybe take a walk next Friday afternoon and, and start thinking about it. Colin, what would you say to, to a leader? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with what Tobias has said. I I, I think there was a wonderful question because one of the things that we need to do is to start thinking about how we think yeah. and understanding our frame yeah. of reference. Because what we're looking to do is to explode the frame of reference to go from a ten percent to a ten x. And one of the beautiful questions that Mark Bonchek left us with was, what if that wasn't true? So yeah. think about what are the paradigms, like how have you defined the box? What are the paradigms that you buy into about yeah. your place in the industry or how the industry works or what the potential is in your industry? And ask yourself, well, what if that wasn't true? And what would that open up? And that was a beautifully simple question, but potentially profound. And a perfect way to end the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Thanks for coming in.